gonna make a disclaimer. This is a dorky thing, but it is one of my pastoral goals. I don't know if you've picked up on it. I try my very best to never preach with notes. That's one of my personal goals, is that I never have any notes with me when I preach. I want to know the text well enough to where I don't have to have an outline or anything. I am making an, ad an admission that I think, I don't remember if it's the first time this year or what, but I have notes today, okay? So I am a failure. You can just know that about me. Um, but we are, we are moving into a different type of sermon series. We're moving into a topic-driven, usually we go book by book, verse by verse, um, but we're switching that up. We're going to change gears just for a short season of six weeks because we've got an awesome thing going on in our church. It's an announcement that I'm going to make at the end of the service, but we have a vote coming up at our next members meeting. Okay, so members, keep your ears on here. Um, Shannon Eli has been serving now for almost two years faithfully in the role of prospective elder. It has now come time, I believe, that we need to vote on either affirming or denying. Uh, keep him on his toes. Uh, Shannon into the official role of elder in this church. Uh, Lance, we voted him in as associate pastor, which is, holds the title of elder as well. Uh, but he was never formally tested. And so at the September members meeting, which is September 19th, we're going to have something we're going to call the forge. And these brothers have been preparing for the last month a one to two paragraph statement on 15 different doctrines of the Christian faith. And they will then give an oral defense before the church. And so soon we'll be emailing you out a list of these doctrines. And I want you to prepare the most difficult possible questions for them. And they are going to be ready, Bibles in hand, to answer and to defend the gospel and to explain the truth, which is the role of an elder. And so then after that, we will make a vote on them as elders um, or not. And so I'm excited. I think it's going to be a great night in the life of our church. We're going to do a cookout, probably do some ribs and brisket, just because this is a great time to celebrate. So if you haven't joined the church yet, you might want to soon. Um, but we're going to be moving into a sermon series called Ecclesia. Say that with me. Ecclesia. Ready? One, two, three. Ecclesia. I think, Colton, throw that word up there. This is the, or that, uh, the first picture. The ek means out of, and klesia, or lesia, is from kaleo, which is a word that means to call out. And so the, the community of Christ is a called out community. Christ has called you out of your sins and into salvation. And then he calls us as a body of believers out of the world, not necessarily that we don't participate in this world, but to be different. And so we are a community of called out people. That's the church. And, and God gives very specific, very clear instructions on how the church is to be run and how the church is to be structured particularly is what we want to look at in these next six weeks. So we'll spend two weeks in elders, two weeks on deacons, and two weeks on church membership. And again, the importance of why we chose to go through this sermon series is that, one, we wanted to preach on the importance and the purpose of elders before we vote on them. And then we are working very hard on developing the roles of deacons that we may need in this church when the times come. And so we're working on that, and then we're always always emphasizing that this is not a church run by the leaders 
a church, that's not a healthy church. A church is the church. It's the membership. And so each of you play an unbelievably vital role to the health of this church. And so that's how we're going to spend the next six weeks going through this. And so each one of them will kind of have the same layout. What an elder, deacon, or member must be, what an elder, deacon, or member must do. And so today we're going to be looking at what an elder must be. That's what we're going to look at. Now, as I begin, I, I, I first heard the word elder um, probably like eight years ago in college. And I kind of didn't know what it was. My whole life I grew up with preacher or with pastor. My pastor's name was Pastor Haley. Every now and then if you got close with him, you could call him preacher. What's up, preacher? His wife was his assistant and she called him preacher. Oh, preacher's not in right now, Tyler. You'll have to leave a message. I'm, okay, okay. Thanks, Miss Diane. So preacher. And then every now and then for you Southern folk is brother. Hey, Brother Hardy, or hey, hey, brother, brother Watson, hey, Brother Haley, how you doing? And so we'd call each other brother. And so I heard preacher, pastor, and brother. That was what I knew to be a pastor. And then I hear this word elder, and I'm like, what, in, what on earth is an elder? Isn't that someone who's old or older than me? And then, uh, then I meet some Mormon missionaries in Fort Worth, Texas, and their names are like Elder Adams and Elder Scott. And I'm like, oh, shoot, like every Mormon's first name is elder. That is the craziest thing in the world. And I'm like, hi, nice to meet you. Why do you all have the first name? You know, and I just was super confused. And then I saw, you know, there's a lady. If it's a lady Mormon, it says sister so-and-so. So I'm like, oh, shoot, okay. So that's like a term of some position. Like, okay, so all these little two-year missionaries, you call them elder or sister. I got it. All right, cool, cool, cool. What's elder? And then I'm in seminary, and like every single book in the world and every sermon seemed like it was talking about elders and elder this and elder that and a plurality of elders. And I was like, I've got to figure out what this stinking word means. And it made me think of this movie. If you'll click the, click the Google tab. You got very good arms. Just listen. He didn't fall? Inconceivable. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> I love when uh, Inigo Montoya says, you keep on using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> But if you don't know, that movie is The wow. Princess Bride. Look at this. Oh. 94% of people believe company culture is important to an organization. That wasn't part, but hey, it was probably a great ad worth our time, you know? So, <laughs> but I think of the movie uh, Princess Bride when this guy keeps using the word inconceivable the whole movie, right? And then uh, finally, Inigo Montoya looks at him and he says, you keep using that word. I don't think, you, I don't think it means what you think it means. And that's how I felt when it came to the term elder. And maybe that's how you feel when you hear the term elder. And so let's clear some things up and let's look at God's word today as to what an elder must be. And uh, let me define it, okay? So as we look in throughout the scriptures, you look in throughout the New Testament and you see elder, overseer, bishop, pastor, shepherd. All of those words encompass the same office. Okay? Um, and so when you see elder, bishop, pastor, um, elder, bishop, pastor, overseer, shepherd, all of those generally are the same, or they are the same office, and they're oftentimes the same word, or there's a couple different words, but they all mean the same thing, shepherd and pastor. Okay? And so as, as, as I want you to know, each point that I have says an elder must be blank. And so when we hear the term elder, it is synonymous with pastor, okay? 
It is the role of pastor in the church. Role of pastor, shepherd, teacher. Okay? So let me pray, and then let's jump into uh, what an elder must be. Father, we come to you uh, with joy as we enter into uh, something that's unique to our church, which is going through a topical series. Lord, we're still going to be teaching your word. We're still going to be hearing your word. And so, Lord, I ask that you help us to respond and obey your word. Father, as I think of the beautiful, uh, the infancy, I think we're coming out of infancy phase of our church as we uh, near our two-year anniversary, Lord. We're taking some steps, and Lord, we want to strengthen. We want to know how it is that you have commanded and expect our churches to be led, served, and, and, and committed to. And so, Father, help us, please. Help me, please, Lord, to preach your word well tonight. And I ask, Lord, that despite all of my flaws, that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding and would give us conviction about these things of which you've said so clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that an elder must be, an elder must be blameless and above reproach. An elder must be blameless and above reproach. Now, listen here. Stretch your soul, because we're going to do some spiritual gymnastics and some Bible flipping today, okay? Uh, we're going to be in multiple different books. You're going to blaze a trail between 1 Timothy and Titus. Okay, then we're going to pop in a few other books as well tonight. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Again, it's going to be on the screens. Let me also say, if you do not have a Bible, we have some on the inside rows of our chairs. That is our gift to you. We want you to know that God has spoken, and we are called to respond and obey. So we want to give that to you as a gift. That's yours. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. So an overseer must be above reproach. We're going to look into this passage even more throughout the rest of the night, but that's 1 Timothy 3. And now look at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you to appoint elders in every town, an elder must be blameless. Notice how Paul, it's the same author, Paul, inspired by God, writing to two of his protégés in two different cities. And in one, he says if someone wants to be an overseer, he must be blameless. This one says if you want to be um, an elder, must be blameless. And so I, I, that's what I mean is we're interchanging these words. They all mean pastor, shepherd, okay? So elder, overseer. But an elder must be blameless and above reproach. Well, what does blameless and above reproach mean? There for a short season of my life, I played baseball most of my life. I thought I was good. Then I went to college and I walked on to the team where Lance was the starting shortstop and I sat the bench and did nothing but help out the other teammates, okay? But in the odd chance that I got to step on the field with the JV team, I can't remember, I, I've, I've almost tried to block this memory out of my head because it was embarrassing, but is either in high school or college. Now, in high school and college, I had coaches that required your cleats to be cleaned before every single game. You had to take kaboom or scrubbing bubbles and spray your cleats and then wipe them down. 
You got to look good to play good. That was the coach's motto, okay? I also remember hearing it somewhere that if you sprayed Pam on your cleats, that the dirt wouldn't stick to it. And so I remember trying to just get out there and spray Pam on the metal spikes on my cleats so that whenever I stepped, I wouldn't get mud or dirt on my cleats. It didn't really work that well. But the, uh, the, the goal of that was so that my cleats would be blameless and above reproach. See, blameless and above reproach means that when someone throws mud at you, it doesn't stick. When someone throws mud at you, it doesn't stick. It makes me think of, I, I don't want to get political, but I'm going to use a political illustration. There have been people who have, there's been all kinds of false accusations made about, or accusations. And as they look into them over and over and over and over again, I mean, they have the energy of every single authority in the world, or in the United States, looking into trying to ruin the reputation. And, and what we've seen is that sometimes they can't find anything, and it proves to be false. And so what we would say about that public figure is that they live a life that is above reproach, that when someone makes an accusation about them, it doesn't stick. But then on the opposite side, there's, <laughs> there's been... Uh, there's been Republicans do stupid stuff too, okay? Again, I'm not getting political. This is just a perfect illustration. But the governor of New York, he's making all kinds of claims about stuff and how he's a protector of women and this, that, and the other, and then someone accuses him of assaulting women, and immediately they had about 159 eyewitness testimonies to go against him. Whether he did it or not, he's not above reproach. He did not carry himself and live his life in a way in which an accusation would fall on deaf ears. And so think about the implications of this for an elder, a pastor, a shepherd. What do we see in the news? If you're here and maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you've seen some abuse in the church and you're real skeptical about how could God be good if pastors are so evil, let me just be honest, yeah, a lot of pastors have failed. It doesn't take long to Google, if you just typed in pastor, sexual assault, you could spend the next three months reading through the headlines. Pastor, embezzling money. Pastor, abusing authority. There's ample evidence. And so unfortunately, what we've heard and what we, even non-Christians are like, you're a pastor, you shouldn't, you shouldn't act like that, right? But what we see is that a lot of pastors do act like that. We see the news articles of corruption, of evil, of abuse of power. And so what are we to do with that? We are to expect a lot out of our elders because God expects a lot out of our elders. In two places in the Bible, it says that he desires a noble task. James says, not many of you should want to be teachers, for you're going to incur stricter judgment. So they must be blameless. They must, they must carry themselves in a way that when someone accuses you and it goes to the headlines, it proves that there was nothing that would ever stick. Why? Because as a pastor, you're the front line of what the world and the Christians in your church see about God. You directly represent 
God. Not, I'm not God. But the elders of our church directly represent who God is in the public eye. And so it is essential and it is expected of, God expects elders to be above reproach. Now what it doesn't mean is perfect. And all God's people said, amen. Because if it meant perfect, then the only person who could be a pastor is Jesus. And he's in heaven right now and he sent his spirit. And that spirit equips people and calls people to be elders. And we're imperfect, but we aim to be blameless and above reproach. Well, why does this matter? Well, let me, let me also back up and say, it's really hard for me to preach on the expectations and what an elder must be because I'm painfully aware of my own sin. I, I, it, I just took Nola out um, to do some preseason scouting for deer, and we went to our duck spot. Now, my dog, I'm, I'm about to show my temper at this dang fly. I got you, sucker. Got him twice. It's a good night. Um, I took Nola out. We go to our favorite duck spot. And when we pull up, I kid you not, she gets out of the back seat and just looks at the location that will remain unknown. And you can see it in her eyes. She's ready. And I'm so excited. And then we get out, and she doesn't listen to a dang thing I say. Lance can attest, but he will not give details as to the amount of sin that took place that afternoon because my dog would not obey me. Now, as I think about it, I wish I'd have been more patient. That was her first time to see that duck spot in nine months. Of course she's excited. So I wished I could have been more like God, been more patient, and have understood what was probably going to happen. And so it doesn't take long. You come to my house about 728. My kid's bedtime is 730. And I, we try and do family worship every night. Sometimes I am praying and I'm singing with so much joy because finally I get to tell my kids good night and not have to deal with them anymore. And so I am painfully aware of my sin. When I stand before you and preach on what an elder must be, and so I praise God that it doesn't mean I have to be perfect. But it does mean I have to strive to be exemplary. A great quote about elders is, Elders do the ordinary things extraordinarily well. There's nothing special about being an elder except the fact that they have to be able to teach, which we're going to get to that in a minute. Other than that, every other qualification for elder is what is the qualification for every single Christian. It's just that elders often do it ordinarily or extraordinarily well. So I want you to know, church, I, I never stand up here acting as if I'm perfect. But I do try and strive that if anyone in this church were to look at my life, and I know it's the same for Lance and for Shannon, if you were to look at our lives and you emulated what we did, you would get closer to Jesus. That's what we strive to do. And we appreciate your prayer as we do that. Now, why does this matter? It matters because in 1 Timothy, as we preached through several months ago, it says that the church is the pillar and the buttress of truth. And so when the world looks at the church, it sees truth or lies. If you have good elders and a good membership and good deacons, then they're going to see the truth. But if the elders fall short of God's expectations, they will see lies. 
And so as the lost world looks, they'll see lies about God. And when the church looks, they'll see lies about God. And when we depart from God's design, we always see brokenness come. So an elder must be blameless and above reproach. The second thing is that an elder must have an exemplary home life. An elder must have an exemplary home life. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 6. Titus chapter 1, verse 6 says, An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness and rebellion. Must be the husband of one wife with children who are faithful children, not accused of wildness or rebellion. 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5. 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5. He must ha- manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he be able to take care of God's church? And so an elder must have an exemplary home life. Why? Because an elder's home life is the testing grounds and the proving grounds of their ability to manage God's household. I do want to also make another point before we really get in. This is a side point. We, I preached on this uh, like a year or so ago. So if you want to talk more about this, we can, but we talked about it then, so I'm just going to briefly touch on it. One thing about an elder, an elder must be a male. It is hard for a woman to be an elder if she's going to be the husband of one wife. An elder must be a male. This is something that for all of Christian history has been clearly understood. We live in a culture that is very different, does not like rules, and we live in Wyoming, so we like on steroids don't like rules. But what we see in God's design is that the men are the head of their homes, and that's the proving ground for men being the head, not the head of the church, but being elders who serve as leaders in the church. And so an elder must be a male. We see this throughout the New Testament that uh, this, this teaching pervades. It's in the home and it's in the church. Male headship. Now, Look at the design. When I say male headship, what we oftentimes think about is what we're seeing in the news headlines with the Taliban and how they're treating women. That is in no way, shape, or form ever to be tolerated in God's household. I love in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, uh, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way as co-heirs to Christ that your prayers may not be hindered. <laughs> I love this. Listen, husbands, listen up. This is a sermon for a different Sunday or Wednesday, but listen. If you don't want to listen to your wife, God doesn't want to hear from you. He says, you better understand your wife. You better live with her as a co-heir of the grace that's been given in salvation. And if you don't want to do that, then don't pray because your prayers are going to be hindered anyways. And so as you, think, as you think of that love and that grace that is exemplified in the home, it carries over into the church. And so an elder must always be gentle, kind, compassionate, a shepherd. Ladies, think of the way that Jesus shepherds you. Have you ever felt demeaned or degraded? No. And an elder's job is to shepherd like the great shepherd. And so we're not looking at the Taliban-type headship. We're looking at self-sacrificial servanthood 
of males to all people in the church. So that's just a side point that an elder must be a male. They also must have a healthy and God-glorifying marriage. Why is that? Brother, that person's going to be preaching and teaching on what it means to be a husband, how to have a healthy home, how to follow Jesus. If you don't have a healthy marriage, you have no right talking to anybody about how they ought to be living their lives. We praise God for grace and redemption from mistakes. But an elder must have a healthy and God-glorifying marriage. So then we come to the question, which we talked about this, as well as what, what about divorce? What about divorce? There's like three prevailing views. One is that if you've ever been divorced, you can never serve in any capacity ever in the church. I don't hold to that one. There's also another one that says it doesn't matter. I know of guys that have been divorced multiple times, multiple wives, and they serve as elders. I disagree with that. I think that you have a challenging time. You have a challenging time teaching people about how to have good families if you've lost three marriages. That's tough. Here's what I'm going to say. We need to draw the line with a lot of grace. Okay? Nobody's ever damaged goods in the kingdom of God. You hear that, church? No one's ever damaged goods in the kingdom of God. But the role of elder is one of very high expectations. And so the view that we have at this church is if you had a divorce as a non-Christian and you've come to Christ since then, then guess what? Praise the Lord. Paul was a murderer before he came to Christ, and he was the one who wrote the qualifications of elder. Okay, so I think that we need to let grace, we need to let salvation clean that slate. Each case is taken at a case-by-case basis. Okay, that's, that's, so I will say this phrase, ordinarily but not always. Ordinarily but not always, if you have a divorce as a Christian, we would ordinarily but not always see that as an exclusion from the office of elder. If you've had a divorce as a Christian, that's the outfitter church. That's not every other church. And I would serve and I would respect anyone who, who has varying degrees on this, but the line does have to be drawn. And so if you have a divorce as a Christian, ordinarily, not always, that would be an exclusion from the office of elder because as a Christian, with the help of heaven, you went through that brokenness, right? Okay, so again, people are going to disagree on that, but a line does have to be drawn. People draw it different places. Let's draw it with grace, but that's where this church lands, okay? So healthy and God-glorifying marriage. Why? Because as a blameless elder, an above-reproach elder, people are going to be looking to you for how to follow Jesus, okay? So you want to have a healthy and God-glorifying marriage. Then what about children? If you have children, what's the, what's the role well, that you have to be able to, this is crazy, control them competently with all dignity. I love controlling my children, or at least attempting to. <laughs> Discipline and spanking is one of my favorite things as a father. I don't know why. God wired me as I love to keep, keep the line. Now, don't keep it tight in my life, okay? Let me have grace, but I want to be strict on my children. But how many times, how many times have I lost my dignity doing that? The Lord convicted me so strong earlier this year 
is I, I was reading a book by a guy named Vody Bauckham, and he says, how many times has the Lord ever yelled at you in anger? How many times has the Lord raised his voice in angry outbursts? Oh, I was repenting. <laughs> how many times has the Lord ever spanked you in anger? Whew. Let me tell you, the Lord has corrected me. I'm sure he's raised his voice, and I know that he has spiritually spanked me and disciplined me. But never once did he do it in anger. He disciplines in love. And so, oh, the repentance that I've been working through in trying to control my children and competently lead my home with dignity. And so, as you see an elder, if they're married, they got to have a healthy, God-glorifying marriage. If they have children, they need to manage their home competently under control with all dignity. What about a single elder? This doesn't mean that you must be married, remembering that the man who's inspired by God serving as a leader in a church is Paul the Apostle, who's single. So if they're single, well, how's your life? What's your personal life look like? And I don't mean to be too crude, but it's, we can't avoid it anymore. Are you struggling with pornography? Are you staying pure in your sexual life? You may not be married yet, but the scripture says you must be a one-woman man. So are you being a one-woman man in your heart prior to being married? Are you being chaste? Are you being pure? These are things that we would ask and expect. Again, it doesn't mean they're perfect, but it means they're exemplary. Elders do the ordinary things extraordinarily well. Thirdly, an elder must be able to teach the Bible. I feel like this should go without saying, but it is very important. Uh, I had this argument, uh, not argument, but conversation with Ashley. We said, should a pastor write his own sermons? I said, if a pastor can't write his own sermons, then he shouldn't be a pastor. She said, why? Not that she believed that. She said, why? And I said, because every inkling of what being an elder means, means you're teaching, defending, and refuting lies about, you're teaching the gospel, defending the gospel, and refuting lies about the gospel. And so you must be able to teach because shepherding requires teaching. It does not mean you have to teach from behind this pulpit. Whether it's in our membership meetings, whether it's in our pastoral care visits, whether it's in counseling, marriage counseling, uh, grief counseling, whatever it's in, in these situations in which elders are brushing shoulders with members, they must be able to teach the gospel, defend the gospel, and refute lies about the gospel. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. An overseer therefore must be above reproach, husband of one wife. Wait, I missed it. There it is. Husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable. Here it is. Able to teach. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Holding the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Here we go. This is key right here. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. As you think about the role of elder, the role of shepherd, you have a shepherd's staff. One of them is 
got that crook in it so that when one of the sheep, one of the Christians, one of the believers in your church falls graciously and lovingly for the 17,000th time, we pick them up out of the pit. Because Jesus for the 17,000th time has picked us up when we sin, right? And so a shepherd is to graciously and compassionately pick his people up. But a shepherd has a straight end on that stick too to smack in the face a wolf that tries to come and hurt the sheep. The, some of the hardest conversations I've ever had have been with people who call themselves Christians and are trying to hurt what I think is God's church. And so a shepherd must be, or an elder must be able to teach the Bible because his job is to teach it so that the bride, the church, the sheep can grow into maturity in Christ. So we teach what's good, we defend what's good, and then we are able as elders to quickly and efficiently refute the lies of the enemy and smack wolves on the face when they come towards the flock. So don't act like a wolf. If you're a Christian, don't act like a non-Christian because you might end up getting hit in the head. Okay? <laughs> don't know. I don't know what he is, but he looks like a wolf. He hit it. As I think about my wife, my wife is literally the, one of the, I think she's the greatest person on the face of the earth. I love everything about her. She's awesome. Every now and then, though, despite six years of me saying to her how beautiful she is, um, clearly I think she's quite awesome. We have three children in under four years. My wife has no need to ever be insecure about her looks. But every now and then my wife will say to me, I I I'm insecure, or I don't think this, or I don't think that. And my job as her husband is to dispel those lies immediately. And I remember, and it's not been often, but over the course of six years, we've seen times where I immediately can tell she is trying to believe a lie from hell, and it immediately needs to be killed for the sake of her soul. And so just as my responsibility as is her husband is to protect my wife from those insecurities and these attacks that come in. Trust me, I've had insecurities too. It's not just me helping her. She helps me a whole lot, by the way. But this was my illustration. But just as I've protected my wife from insecurities, so a pastor's job in teaching the Bible is to protect his people from the attacks of the enemy. Fourth, an elder must not be a new convert. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 must not be a new convert, a new Christian, right? Mike just got saved not too long ago. I would say that Mike should not be an elder within the next probably three months. Now, he may be. Who knows? I, this, I'm just calling him out, picking on him, right? But if you just got saved, you're not immediately going into the queue of who should be being trained up to be a pastor of this church. Why? Well, let's just look. One, because God says so. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, he says... He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. What did the devil do? We've heard all kinds of very elaborate stories. I don't think that the Bible gives that many details, but what we do know is that the devil took on this pride of wanting to be worshipped himself. And so he wanted what only belongs to God, and so God demoted him and punishes his sin. If you pastor a good church like I do with Outfitter Church, 
you are regularly being told how much you're loved, how much you're prayed for, how significant of an impact you've made in someone's spiritual life. And you oftentimes hear things that are honestly just not true. They're a little bit too flattering. Keep it going, please. Thank you. It means a lot. But I'm grateful that for 13 years I've walked with the Lord and I know just how stupid I really am. And for 13 years I have found myself so quickly in sin that I have to remind myself I'm not special. So many times I've failed that by God's grace I've learned I'm not important and I'm not special. And so I'm able to receive this this, this applause. I'm able to receive these kind words. I'm able to see that people literally do see me. I hope that you know I'm not trying to be arrogant. I, I've clearly shared with you multiple sins already. I, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but I know uh, one of the greatest joys is getting to become someone's spiritual father, and that you get to share the gospel with them, and they repent of their sins, and they believe in Jesus. Those people those people hold you in high honor, and it's an amazing honor. It's one that comes with the office of elder, but it's a dangerous honor for someone who's not ready to handle that. It's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of influence. That's why we oftentimes see people abuse that power, and may God never let me do that. I remember I was pastoring a church. I, I had been saved at 16. I began pastoring at 20, and my pastor, preacher, brother, Reverend Mike Haley, asked him to ordain me, and he said, no. <laughs> Ordaining is like the highest honor you can give to a Baptist pastor, as it means that our church is guaranteed, no, no doubt, certifiably set, up, set you apart to serve and preach the gospel your whole life. I'm pastoring a church in college, asked my preacher back home to ordain me. He says, no, you ain't ready. And his answer was, he needs to go through the fire a little bit longer before he gets ordained. Well, pastoring a church in your 20s, it's 11 people out in the middle of nowhere. I felt like I went through the fire enough. I cut my teeth. I learned a few lessons. I got ordained at the end of that. Now, not by Hallmark, but by my own church that I was pastoring. It was amazing. But I was grateful that Mike Haley didn't ordain me sooner. I was grateful he made me wait because I did go through some challenging times. I did learn some hard lessons that were my mistakes and I had to learn from them. So an elder must not be a new convert. How long is new? We've got 60 cities in Wyoming that don't have a church. How long is new? If someone, get, if someone right now is drunk at Chatters and we lead them to Christ tomorrow, how many years is it going to take for them to be ready to go start a church somewhere else, if that be the case? How long? Who stinking knows? Okay? Long enough that people aren't super scared about it is probably what I'd say. Long enough that they've been tested and tried. Long enough that they've been proven faithful with the task of an elder prior to ever having the title of elder. I used to think two years. Now that's insanely too long. I don't know how long it is. Each is a case-by-case -case purpose. And praise God, it's not the elders only who make that decision, but it would be all of our 37 Holy Spirit-filled members that get to make that decision together. Amen? That's why I love... It's not an elder-only church. Our church is based on our membership because you guys have more Holy Spirit combined than I do. And so we like to work together. 37 Holy Spirits is better than the three Holy Spirits on our leadership team, right? So an elder must not be a new convert. Now let me finish with this. 
if elders followed God's design, there would be a lot less abuse of power. If elders followed God's design, there would be a lot less abuse of power. I'm not going to do it because I don't want you to have to expose your, your past. But I have a feeling if I were to say, if you or a loved one have been hurt or wronged by a church, raise your hand. I have a feeling a lot of hands would go up. Unfortunately, you're not wrong. Now, there's a lot of great churches and a lot of great pastors out there, but there's been many times throughout the history that pastors have departed from God's design of what it means to be an elder. And any time that takes place, brokenness follows after. Let me say to you, don't hate the designer just because someone departed from the design. If you've ever been hurt by a church, if you've ever been hurt by a Christian, that was not God doing that. That was someone who departed from a perfect design. And as you look at this design, someone who's blameless and above reproach, someone who has a healthy marriage and a healthy home, someone who's able to teach the Bible, someone who's not a new convert, and therefore taking so much pride and disqualifying themselves, if you saw that someone who leads gently, someone who leads compassionately in Christ's footsteps, someone who when the going gets tough is not a spineless coward, but he fights for the good of the truth and of God and of his people, if elders were like that, Oh my gosh, can you imagine the power of God would be seen displayed in many churches. Don't hate the designer because someone departed from the design. And let me bring it a little closer home. Anyone who's in this room, you have departed from God's design in your own life. For many of us in here, we've recognized that, and by God's grace, we've asked God to forgive us from those departures. And we've asked God to come in and, and heal us and to forgive us. And so we've now followed Jesus faithfully and we're trying to stay in the design. But if you're in this room and you've never turned from your sins and followed Jesus, then you, just like that pastor, have departed from God's design. And as angry as you may be at that pastor or at that church, let me tell you how frustrating will it be when you realize you receive the same punishment that they do. You feel victimized, and you may be. But the problem is, is that you're also a transgressor because God is perfect, and you've been imperfect. And the beautiful grace of God is that when Jesus came and lived perfectly, he set the example. When he willingly went to the cross, he took God's wrath for your sins on himself. And when he rose from the dead, from the grave, he said, follow me. There's no other way to the Father but through me. I am the victor. I am the risen lamb. I am the one who sets the path that you need to follow. And so I get it. You've been hurt, but what are you going to do with that hurt? Don't let it turn you away from the God who sent his son to save you. Yes, you may be the victim of spiritual abuse. God can forgive and redeem that. Or God can heal and redeem that, sorry. But you're not a sinless person. You also have transgressed against God. You're not just an innocent victim. You are a guilty sinner. And Jesus stands saying, not only will I heal you of the pain 
of the sins of others, but I will actually wash away the guilt of your own sin. I will redeem you. There's no damaged goods in my kingdom, and I will use you to bring life and joy to others all of your days, and then we enjoy one another in eternity forever called heaven. I'm going to ask Asha to come forward and play as we sing in response to what we've heard, but if you're here tonight, church, maybe you're a Christian, and this is maybe bringing up some past that you have. Talk it out. Talk with somebody, okay? We need to normalize counseling. It's good, it's biblical, and it's from God. It's okay to say, I need help. I saw a reel uh, on Instagram that says three things that are hard to say is, I, I, I'm sorry, I need help, and Worcestershire sauce. Anyone ever seen that? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a very true reel right there. Worcestershire sauce. Anyways, <laughs> if you need help, ask for it. Oh my gosh, is life hard. Life is hard. Maybe it's just brother or sister with other Christians in church, or maybe it's with one of our elders. Or maybe you need to go start seeing a counselor regularly and work through some of these pains in your life. Praise God that God has gifted people to have that ability. Let's normalize asking for help, okay? So church, if you're here and as a believer, you're still struggling with some things in the past, let's work through it, okay? If you've got questions about what it means, what an elder must be, let's talk about it. But right now, I want to focus on if you're in this room and you've never turned from your sins and followed Jesus. You're not an innocent victim. You're a guilty sinner. Yes, wrong may have been done to you, but you've also done wrong to God. And the same hatred and pain that you feel when someone sinned against you, imagine as God feels that. But instead of staying bitter, he says, look, child, I want to forgive you. I love you. I want to make you whole. I don't care what you've done to me. I want to make you right. I don't want you to suffer anymore. I don't want you to be depressed anymore. I don't want you to be angry anymore. Jesus says, all those who are heavy and, or burdened and heavy, sorry, weary and heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. So tonight, will you come to Jesus? With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're ready to give your burdens and your brokenness and your bitterness to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to say this prayer to yourself with me. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned against you. I've seen brokenness in my life for far too long. I want you to redeem me. I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to take my burden. I believe you died and rose from the dead. I believe you took my sins on the cross. I give you my life. I am yours and yours alone. In Jesus' name. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that, would you write that in the connection card? Hand it to one of us as you leave or drop it in the red box on the back. We want to help you learn to walk with Jesus. 
We want to help you through some of these traumatic things you've been through. And by God's grace, we want to show you what elders must be and how they are to live and to serve in this church. Father, I pray that you'd help us to sing to you now. And we lift you up. Help us, Lord, to be a church that has elders that live up to your expectations. In Jesus' name, amen.